you call yourself a maker? You smell like failure and corn chips. Drop and give me 45 minutes. This is not your grandparents' tinker toys. It's the Creators Collective. Listen up and don't give me that face. Right, Herbert Holtz and Walker are about to demonstrate the proper way to create. And if you got questions, you had better be in the live chat. Otherwise, I am going to plant my boots so far up your hiney that your mother is going to be crying. Now listen up, jelly pasty cow pies. And we're back for another episode of Creators Collective. This is a, uh, a fun one this week um, as we're, it's just the three of us. Wait, it was just the three of us last week, wasn't it? I think it? so. Yeah, it was the year-end was review. Ago, we had Shannon on here. That's right. So, I, I guess it's no more fun than normal, but <laughs> we'll make it. We'll we'll find a way. We're here to uh, talk about uh, creating, making, and all the fun things that go along with it. So, if any of you have any questions, uh, feel free to ask us. If you are live, go ahead and throw them in the chat, and we will get to them as soon as we can. And uh, if you're not live, uh, feel free to send us an email or a message to any of the three of us, or to the uh, the channel here on the uh, Creators Collective YouTube. So. Uh, that's about it for intro. Um, Zach, what you got going oh, on? Oh boy, um, let me see here. What did I write? <laughs> <laughs> I like anytime I'm put on the spot, I instantly like forget what's going on. I have issues. Why did I just? Oh, there it is. Okay, I'm used to being green in the chat. I'm red now. Apparently, threw me off. So uh, um, I probably mentioned this last week, I think. But with um, Valentine's Day coming up around the corner, I did those. Uh, the roses, the video for the roses and the, the silhouette vase out of steel. Um, and I've been selling so many roses. Like the other, I think I made in the past three days, I've made like forged 15 of them and mailed them out and they're still coming in. So, uh, <laughs> I've been doing a lot of roses and, uh, I saw that Instagram post and it's like, Holy cow, there's a pile of steel. Yeah. Roses. Those are all gone. Already. That's awesome. I, I, <laughs> I had like, I think I, I had an orders for like eight of them and I'm like, I'm just going to make, I'll make 15 of them. And then literally like by, as soon as I finished those 15 roses, like I went and checked my email and I'd sold every single one of them, like exactly 15 of them. So at some point I'll have to probably, I probably have another week or two worth of productivity on those things. If, if the orders keep coming in, then I'm going to have to shut it off just because I have a lot of other stuff scheduled that I need to get to. And then um, there's this, uh, there's this like online company. Like, I I don't know. Is it, what do you call an online magazine? Is that a thing? Is there a name for that? Blog? Maybe. It's, it's, it's like a retailer. <laughs> it's like a, um, uh, it's called urban EDC. It's like everyday carry stuff, but it's like a really nice website and they, they feature a lot of cool handmade stuff. Um, but they are, featuring those forged uh, lanyards that I make uh-huh. and they just did a pre-order on them to kind of get a feel for how many of them they're going to want. And he just put in a pre-order of 40 of them for me. So I have to knock those out. So I spent all day yesterday nice. forging those. So between the roses and the lanyards, it's like, yeah. it's taking up. I'm still waiting for someone <laughs> to order a dozen roses. That'd be cool. Well, I put that sculpture of the vase and roses on my side. I'm wondering if that's going to go. Um, <laughs> We'll see. I don't know. It looks really good on our ca- on our, our kitchen table, so I don't really care if anybody buys it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, what do you use for e-commerce? Uh, Squarespace. Like when it's all yeah, it's oh, okay. So nice. Yeah, same here. So easy. Um, but uh, so yeah, the the forged stuff, and then I just got. Um, I've been talking about the sculpture, but I finally 
for this law firm that commissioned me to do a big sculpture. It's six feet by a little over three feet wide. Um, so I did the 3d modeling for that after I did the design for it. And I got to go pick up the check to get started on that today. So early next week I'll, I'll get started on that sculpture, which is, um, that'll be fun. It's, it's crazy. Like I've always, I, I have pretty, I'm pretty confident in my fabrication skills. Like I'm, never really worried about building stuff out of metal, but sculpture is a whole new dimension. And I'd always looked at it and I'm like, Oh, I could do that. I could do that. But when you get into, when you actually start thinking about how you'd make it, it totally changes. It's not just a matter of, you know, welding and grinding and cutting. It's there. You need to have a very evolved strategy to build stuff, especially if you have like you know, the three-dimensional tapering curved metal and stuff. You can't just, you don't just cut that out and stick it together. I mean, the amount of math that's involved in, you know, rotating and tapering three-dimensional metal, it's not, you don't just go for it. You have to, you have to actually do a lot of work. So I have an entire, an entirely new appreciation for um, metal sculpture. And fortunately, I think, I can't remember how long ago it was, but uh, I don't know if you guys ever listened to the episode that we had Kevin Carone on. Uh, that guy has been so helpful because I jumped into this project thinking like, oh, no big deal. Like, I'll just draw this stuff out and figure it out. And I have probably shot about 20 questions back and forth with him. <laughs> like, hey, man, how do I do this? <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's he's been invaluable. So if you guys if you guys have any interest in metal sculptures and stuff, definitely check out Kevin Carone. Yeah. He has an awesome, awesome channel. Yeah. He has, he has a lot of really good videos. He's anyway, I'll, I'll leave it at that. So check <laughs> him out. What about you guys? What's, what have you been up to? Will? Oh man. I feel like I am just always busy. Uh, I'm always running late. Um, I am still working on the live edge vanity. I'm just waiting on some design choices from the clients. Um, uh, just you know, I'm stabilizing the cherry slabs with more bow ties, uh, filling with epoxy, yeah, waiting on epoxy. Um, I am deep, deep underway in the grizzly challenge between me, Chris, uh, Chris Salamone and Kyle Toth. Um, I'm holy cow. That wood is incredible. <laughs> and if you guys haven't seen it on Instagram, you've got to follow me. It's just, that's, it's it, wow. yeah, it's uh spalted curly western maple. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got it and just kind of looked at it and went, Whoa! Uh, and once I broke it down, so I'm making the I'm making a pair of uh bedside tables and I'm making the legs out of this crazy, crazy wow. figured uh maple that is just uh, it's like curly and quilted and spalted and it's just insane. Um, so yeah, working on that, uh, still trying to figure out the joinery on the apron with like a hidden drawer in it and a bees wing figured babinga top. Um, and then yesterday, uh, it was really exciting. My Sawyer was cutting, had this really special, crazy, burly maple log, um, and I do, we do some barter back and forth where I do some film work for them, um, for social media and they pretty much just give me wood now, which is pretty cool. Um, but we milled up this giant maple log that was entirely full of burl. 
Um, and my Sawyer had a friend of his with a Lucas mill come out. And, uh, so I got to, I got to go see that. That was pretty fun. Uh, and I came away with, uh, like four cherry burls that I'm going to turn some bowls out of. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I know that was just kind of a rambly ongoing words coming out of my mouth. So <laughs> I, I have a question. I'm looking at that picture that the end table, it's awesome. Um, what, so when you guys cut the tapers in your legs, um, do you guys go, is there a certain degree that you do, or do you just kind of write, like sketch out like where you want it to start and where you want it to stop and just cut that? I do. Is there like a, whatever you think looks good. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, these are two inch square down to one inch square. Um, and the taper, so there's two straight edges and two tapered edges. Yeah. I think that the normal go-to is one half the thickness at the bottom. Okay. And do you usually start usually those tapers like right a little, like a couple inches below the aprons? Below I, did the a, bottom? I did a half inch below the apron. Yeah. Same okay. for me. Huh. Cool. You, you can do them. And I really like the look of a tapered apron, um, though that adds another layer of complexity. Tapered yeah. apron. Like do where to tape? Yeah. You, you keep the, the taper goes all the way to the top of the leg and then the apron matches it. Oh, end. Wow. That would be cool. Yeah, that's above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> you could get really wacky and do like octagonal oh, yeah. stuff, and yeah. yeah, huh? No, especially when you make them octagonal and the top is still square for the joinery. Then in the uh, four of the sides, then peter out into nothing at the corners. It's kind of a, a cool look. I've always liked the um, like the the Japanese style, like the design where like you have like the elevated tops and and stuff. It's a really cool aesthetic. I haven't done enough woodwork lately to try and work that into anything, but it's it's something that's always been on my list. I, I just really like that aesthetic of like kind of the suspended tops and stuff. It's very Krenoff. Yeah. Um, I'm still debating on whether I'm going to taper the do it do a slight taper on the underside of the table tops or just keep it square. Um it's very shaker esque. So, and the wood is so crazy that I kind of want to keep the design basic and simple. Mm. Um, I don't know. Plus the end grain shows off that spalting too. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. What are you working on James? Um, well, uh, number one, I'm getting ready to travel to Fredericksburg, Virginia. Um, so next week, actually, um, next week after recording the podcast, immediately after recording the podcast, I'm getting in my car and driving 14 hours out to the East Coast. Dude, you are a monster. <laughs> you just love driving. <laughs> I do. I actually rather enjoy the long drives, especially when I can do it overnight. It those seems are, like you get fun. excited to do like 14-hour drives <laughs> didn't, at night. Didn't you just do a 10-hour like especially ten hour round trip to Matt Cremona's to pick up some slabs? Yeah, yeah. That's I, yeah. I I feel like you have like some sort of masochism rooted deep down inside. <laughs> like I saw that video that you posted of like you running, running through a four degree uh hurricane the other day. <laughs> yes. It looked like one of those like fake SNL news reports where people are getting blown away in the background <laughs> and you're just running. <laughs> I think it might be you might be onto something. It's like there, animals flying past you in the background. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, tell tell us more about your trip. The, about what you, what you what you got planned. Yeah, um, so a week from Saturday, uh, the third of February, I will be in Fredericksburg at the uh, the Fredericksburg Area Woodworkers Guild, uh, which is one of the coolest guilds that I've come across in the United States. Um, really well organized, 
And uh, they're, they're really trying to make Fredericksburg area kind of a, a woodworking destination. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of everything. Uh, but I'll be uh, talking at the guild there, and I'm actually going to be bringing uh, my lathe along, my uh, spring pole lathe. So if anyone wants to uh, play on that, that should be a fun time. Um, but I'm also going to be uh, stopping by a few other people on the way and uh, possibly doing a, um, a collab video with the one and only William Walker. What are you making? Or is that a secret? Um, I don't think we've decided on it yet. Yeah, I haven't nailed it down yet. Um, but we, we I'm just talked excited about that- doing like a, a hand puzzle, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. Huh. So, oh, other news, not to interrupt, but I'm going to because that's, <laughs> that's what I do. Um, I got uh, my, my fear belt grinder up and running. So I'm that uh, much closer to making sharp things. So cool. William for uh, uh, Timber Slick, it's getting closer. All right. So, all right. Still a ways out, uh, but, but uh, yeah. it's getting closer. I have I'm all the debating. things I need now other than I'm, the skill I'm, to do it. I'm really thinking about uh, fabricating a belt grinder because I've got a two horsepower motor mm-hmm. just sitting around. Yeah, that that I could that would power it and be pretty it's, awesome. It's one of those things that, like, after having it and looking at it, I feel like, yeah, I could have made this. It's not, you know, but like without having the experience of using one or seeing one in person and stuff, it's it. Well, it's also been a very cross useful tool, not just for metalworking, but the, the woodworking. It, it has a lot of uh, possibilities because you can get around the belt. And yeah, well, the the one that I have has use. the variable frequency drive, which mm-hmm. is awesome. I just have a knob and I can adjust the speed to nice. anything. And uh, I mean, I, I my my experience with one of those before this is completely limited. But I've I've had it running for like two days in my shop, and I've already used it for so many things that has nothing to do with sharpening objects just for. So is that a, so is that a three phase motor with a variable frequency drive to make it 220? It's actually, so the, the very, I think it's a, I can't remember the model number, but the, the frequency drive, you can like hook it up to pretty much anything. Like you can switch to jumpers to have it set up for 120 or, you know, 220 or 110 oh, wow. or 220. Um, but uh, yeah, it's everything that I'm using. It's plugs into the 110. I could rewire it, oh, but wow. I don't have any need. So, how many horsepower is the motor? It's either one and a half or two. Which I I don't know. I mean, huh. I I don't have enough experience to to know if I'll need more power. But I really doubt it. I mean, I'm not. Well, if you start tripping breakers, you yeah. Know, I mean, I'm not going to be like. Over to I mean, you have what two inches of belt? Like you'd have to push really hard in order to slow that thing down to the point of bogging it down. I don't know. I don't think I'm ever going to have issues. It feels pretty pretty great. So, but uh, well, it was. It, let me. I just let me steal this conversation yeah, back then because it, it's it's we're still talking about what I'm doing. No, I actually, uh, you just mentioned I went up to Matt Cremona's this last week um, and uh, uh, got a couple slabs from him. And I got some red oak. I know, Whoa. I know, it's scary. <laughs> but uh, they are massive, massive slabs with uh, huge um, openings and bug holes and uh, beautiful figure in them. So I'm going to be making a dining room table out of these two slabs there. Uh, they originally were 13 feet long. The table's going to end up being about 11 and a half foot long, um, but at the widest point, four foot wide. Um, and it's 
it's it's a massively massively heavy table. The top alone will be somewhere around four hundred to five hundred pounds. So wow. the table in total will be well over a quarter ton. Wow. And, um, um, so did I see I'm you really already jointed the edges to to book match them? Uh, well, I, I I I cut them. I didn't joint them um, because okay. I, right. I I got the slabs. They're thirteen foot long, and there were defects on either end that I didn't want in the table. Um, and I can get a thirteen foot long board into my basement, but being at that point around two hundred to two hundred and fifty pounds a piece, that would have been quite the ballet uh, to get them into my basement to work on. So I ended up cutting them in the in the garage to the close to their final shape lengthwise and then doing a long rip on them to to uh, to get the figure and the, the, the book matching um, right on them so that I knocked off probably about uh, 30 40 pounds from each one to bring them downstairs nice but now they're now they're resting in my shop and I'm gonna be having them sitting there for three months or so until they acclimate to the shop and fully dry out because they've spent the last uh, two and a half years outside of Matt Cremona's house. So they need to acclimate to an air-conditioned basement. Nice. How long did you say that takes? Um, I'm guessing it'll be about three three months, um, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, they, they are a little bit on the wet side, but I can't tell if that's just wet due to them being outside and a lot of sur- surface moisture. Uh, I probably won't know for another week or so until the, the surface uh, You probably out. don't uh, use any sort of uh, moisture meter at all, do you? Oh yeah, oh, you yes do? I do. What what so yeah, actually maybe you can educate me because I in the past like year, I think I've come really close to buying a moisture meter like ten different mm-hmm. times. And then I start looking into it and there's so much contradictory information <laughs> that I just say, screw it, I'm not gonna buy one. Cause like you have like the pin list and then you have people that say that that's the way to go, and then you have the 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 pinned ones that I don't know. It seems like nobody there's not like definitive research out there that says this is the way to go well, the, to the problem it. that most people have is that most people want to know what is the percentage of the wood um, but the problem is it will vary over the length of the board and number two it really doesn't yeah, matter what the percentage the is relative. as long as it reached an equilibrium so as long as you have something to compare them to it doesn't matter what how you're measuring as long as you're measuring it the same way yeah, yeah. and you can also like weigh leave, weigh boards too and just mark the that's ridiculous the though who has time for that who's gonna cut off like a piece of wood and put it in the oven for an hour and like that's re- that's the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard that sounds like a <laughs> that sounds like some like old greek way of doing something where like you throw a crown in a bucket of water and figure out how much gold's in it like nobody is gonna do that it's ridiculous <laughs> that's actually what i do for some of my smaller pieces yep. nobody but uh, james is gonna do that it's <laughs> no, ridiculous. no it's it's a good way to to figure out you know once it stops losing yeah. weight it's it's dryish yeah well what I, what I uh, what I'm doing for this one is I have the cutoffs that I well, that I cut off the end <laughs> um, and so I have those sitting beside the board those will dry out much much faster than the entire thing because there's more surface area per capita of, of lumber right um, so I'm gonna be keeping an eye on those and when those stabilize out which I'm guessing they're gonna stabilize out around eight percent um, from my basement um, then I know that that is the equilibrium of the wood and so then I can just wait until the slabs reach whatever that percentage is and i'll know that they're dry for that room Do you think it'll get down to eight percent in your basement air drying in my basement right now because my basement's like 25 percent humidity okay. um so it's it's really dry in here my my uh, most of my white oak stock is actually a lower percentage than um, my meter can read um so it, it gets really dry down here um, but that's that's really nice for woodworking though because when you know that wood is as dry and as small as it will get 
um, it becomes very easy to calculate wood movement because you know that it's only going to get bigger. Um, so you just you can you can leave the space. So if you want a really nice tight joint, then you just make it a really nice tight joint, and that way when it goes anywhere else, it's just going to become tighter. I got to figure out if I get the time this year. I got to do some more work on my uh, my workbench because the humidity fluctuations here are outrageous. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, especially in your garage. They say in the book, like you're, you know, and like the all the the science books and stuff. They're like, well, you know, theoretically, a board can move this much or this much, but realistically, this is here. It moves. It it moves to both extremes. I mean, we go from super dry to a hundred percent humidity, like back and forth all year round. So, like the top on my workbench is actually uh, cupped fairly bad on the back. So it's, it's glued on the front of the, the apron and then where it comes in the back, everything else is just, it's not glued down so that it could move, but it actually curled up. So I have about maybe a half inch gap on the backside of the, uh, the workbench to the under between the workbench and the top on the back. So the, fortunately the front part's straight, I have enough straight parts in my, sh- uh, things in my <laughs> shop to where it's not an issue and the bench is still functional, but it just irks me that the wood moved that much on there. And especially with given that I allowed it the movement, it just decided to move in the direction that I didn't want it to move. So I'm thinking about doing like a plank top on it, which I think kind of makes sense for uh, places that fluctuate humidity. Just do do some like uh, some two by sixes and just hammer them down and, and countersink some like one, two nails per board just to give it some room. Granted, there'd be maybe a, you know, a sixteenth of an inch gap between boards, but I think that would help minimize the, you know, the warpage. A lot of the fear that people have about wood movement um, comes from days before air conditioning, because if you're in a house without air conditioning, the moisture, the humidity movement just about anywhere in the United States is, is incredibly wild, well, in most anywhere in the world. Um, and so when you have that, that amount of moisture movement, your, your wood movement can be drastic, uh, you know, and a, a quarter inch over the, the width of a, of a small tabletop, um, which is, is, is horrible. Um, but when you're, when you're making something nowadays for, um, for an air conditioned space, it's not as much of an issue. Uh, the, the wood movement is far less. And so I think a lot of people still have that, that old fear. But then it's still always good to have things built to withstand that. So when they get moved and you know get stored in a garage for a year or two, they don't uh, self-destruct. Yeah, I think shop <laughs> furniture, you have to be, or maybe Yeah, especially if you're in a garage. Yeah, stuff that's... That's the nice thing I have in the basement here is it's always air conditioned. <clears throat> it's always heated. It's always the same yeah. year round, which is... Yeah, and really Florida's nice. got to be one of the worst places for wood movement. I mean, it's it's <laughs> yes. rough here. It's one of the perks of working with metal. <laughs> I was like looking at we've got some antique uh, like uh, like secretaries' desks and things in our house, um, and the the drop down desk portion of the secretary's top is a uh, panel with breadboard ends, and seeing how much the wood has moved um, with those breadboard ends. I mean, it's you know it's charming now and then you know you can see that it's an antique but as the woodworker i'm look i always like look at it and study you know how they did things you know back then and um and really seeing how a breadboard works is pretty cool yeah i'm looking forward to seeing um matt cremona doing a, a, a video on that for his outdoor table because uh, he put breadboard ends on that and the thing is what 44 inches wide so there's got to be a, a a cool amount of movement against that breadboard 
Um, so I'm looking to looking forward to seeing if he ever shows variations from one one time to the other because it's it's outdoors, so it's it's got to be a a massive amount of absorption. Yeah. Um, oh, real quick, James, that Fredericksburg area Woodworkers Guild. I'm also speaking uh, there in April, so um, I want to pick your brain after you speak there and and see how it, it how it goes. And I don't I don't know why they want me, but they they emailed me and asked me so. <laughs> Oh, I should I should mention it before I forget. Um, I know there's a few listeners in the Tampa-ish area, but there's the Tampa Woodworking Show this coming weekend, which is the twenty. What's today? Twenty fifth. So, well, actually, tomorrow. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, there's a handful of us meeting for breakfast tomorrow at uh, um, a breakfast joint <laughs> by the Woodworking Show. So. Uh, if anybody's interested, shoot me an email or or something. I, I created a local Facebook group, so if you're in the area, uh, let me know and I'll I'll add you to the group. Maybe we can meet up tomorrow because we're we're all going to be there. So cool. Well, we have a few questions. Um, uh, for for she Sean for she Fushi. Fushi? You can tell I'm not good at names. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people out there who say, you know, I'm good with faces, I'm bad with names. I'm just, I'm just bad with names. Is um, it yeah, Fushi? I feel like that's something to do with French cooking. Is that where that name came from? I don't know. But don't know. Uh, he asked in the live chat. I'm curious as to your thoughts about O1, A2, PMV11, and uh, for a hybrid shop. You guys have anything you want to weigh in? Um, I know. So I just recently put the uh hawk iron it's 01 tool steel in my uh in my number four and i love it now that i got the back flattened um according to hawk the 01 tool steel is easier to sharpen is that right james yeah so and it keeps a, a relatively good edge for a while um i'm not sure about the a2 or pmv11 but yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, they, I don't actually know the difference. The, the the big thing is for steel in general, the harder the steel is, the harder it is to sharpen, but the better it holds an edge. Unless it gets too hard, then it becomes brittle and you might chip off an edge. Um, whereas the softer it is, the easier it is to sharpen, but the more often you're going to have to sharpen it. So you're kind of playing back and forth. And most of these tool steels are like right in the middle I and mean, they're all right next to each other. Um, and, and the way I like to tell it is a lot of people, you're really not going to notice the difference until it's something you've been doing for a year or more. Um, and a lot of people really get bent out of shape over, you know, what's the best tool steel. And there really is no the best um, because 99% of the people out there are not going to be able to tell a difference in their everyday use. Um, unless you've been, you know, doing it for years, it's, it's not something you're really going to feel. Um, now that being said, everyone has their own personal preferences. <laughs> if, uh, like for me, if I'm ordering from Veritas and they give you the choice of, uh, they give you the choice of O2, A1, uh, O1, A2, or PMV11, I actually choose PMV11. Um, I, I find it to, it sharpens fairly easily. Um, but it is a, I find it to be a fairly resistant steel. Um, and so I, I like its balance a little bit better. O1 tends to be the easy one to sharpen, but it's probably going to dull a little bit faster. Um, A2 is the one that's a little on the harder side um, and can sometimes be a pain to sharpen. But when I say, you know, it's a pain to sharpen as opposed to an easy to sharpen, that might be the difference of like, you know, a half dozen strokes. 
Um, so yeah. it's uh, yeah, it, it's not something that's that's that much of a, a difference. So if you, and I feel a, like honing your sharpening technique is is more important yeah, than yeah, very much so. So um, like like I'm dealing with all these crazy figured woods right now. And so I'm constantly going back to my stones yeah. to sharpen. And so I just have my water stone out, my, my 6,000 grit water stone out, um, you know, with a tub of water. And, you know, as long as it, I keep it flat, you know, every 30 minutes or so, or even if that depends on how much planing I'm doing, um, I can just run over to the stone real quick, do a few laps, hit the strop, and then get back to work. Um, and yeah. it's not a huge deal. So. No, I think for the the hybrid woodworker, like he's asking here, there really isn't that much of a difference. It's uh, you're really not going to tell that much of a difference, <laughs> um, unless it's unless it's something that you're you know you're you're regularly using the hand plane as as a main go to tool. Um, you're you're probably not going to notice it. Yeah, as a hybrid woodworker, uh, probably the most hybrid woodworker in out of the three of us. Um, I'm claiming that title. Um, <laughs> uh, I would I use O one and I love it. Then mm-hmm. uh, so it's probably yeah. the most common too. O one is yeah. Zach, do you have any thoughts on that being the the resident metal guy? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, cool. metallurgy is a whole. I mean, that's chemistry, like. I'm not quite there yet. I think I think I'll soon have a better under. I mean, I know the fundamentals, but as far as actually, I mean, you guys will know better than I will from using it in your hand planes and stuff. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Eventually, I'll probably know more, but not yet. Cool. Yeah, talking right. more to, uh, to to getting a sharpening technique down. Um, like when I do my final smoothing on a project for like, for instance, this side table, uh, some of the pieces were fairly figured. Uh, most of it was just fairly straight grain though. Um, when I actually did the the final smoothing on it, you know, the last thing to touch the, the wood, um, I ended up sharpening my blade like every 70 to 100 strokes. Um, so really often, less than every five minutes. But when I, when I say I sharpened it, I would take it out of the plane. I would leave the chip breaker on and I would strop it. And then I put it back in Um, and, you know, just doing 20 or 30 strokes on the strop, putting it back in, kept that blade at, at perfect tone so that as I'm working along, it's, it's running. See, that's interesting. I always always had the, I always used the Norton water stones um, Mm -hmm. to sharpen everything. And I finally, I realized that like I put off sharpening my planes because if like pull out your stones and like there's slurry everywhere, it's dirty soak them in a thing for 10 minutes and then you get them out and there's water all over. it's just a mess um i just got sick of doing that so i finally actually went on went on to your uh, website and just ordered all of the sharpening stuff that you use the three diamond stones <laughs> what's like your methodology for that so there's what is there the course the fine and extra fine is that what i mm-hmm. spent my money on <laughs> i don't yeah, even know I-, <laughs> I just ordered i just clicked and bought them <laughs> When, when a lot of people think about sharpening, they think about, you know, going through all of it. And, and, and that's that's very much like how Paul Sellers does it. Every time he sharpens, he goes through every single step. Um, and I, I do a variance, you know, how dull is the blade? Um, most of the time through my average building, I let my blades get fairly dull. Um, now, fairly dull to me might be, you know, still keenly sharp to some other people. Um, but, you know, I get to them to the point where I don't want to use them anymore and then I'll take them back and hit all three stones. Um, if I'm working with a figured wood and I'm still, you know, I'm taking off a, a large chunk, 
I may sharpen them more often and I'll just hit the, the higher two grits or just the one high grit. Um, and I'll do that, you know, every 150 to 200, maybe 300 strokes. So do you, um, um, when you go back to hit the course, the fine and the extra fine, are you doing, do you do any sort of micro bevel when you sharpen or do you just, no. you just go no. flat at how, how yeah, many I, degrees do you, you usually, usually go? I'm sure you have varying, varying degrees that you I, use. Yeah, you know, well, most of my plane irons are thirty degrees. Yeah, um, I, I really like thirty degrees because it, it allows them to wear a little bit longer, um, and they're easier to sharpen. Whereas yeah. if you go down to twenty-five, I, for like my low angles, they're at twenty-five. That takes a little bit longer to sharpen because there's more surface area. Yeah, so thirty degrees, you you don't have to reset your your bevel at all. I'm assuming no. that. And then, uh, no. so what? How many passes does it usually take for? Like on the course, I do it the, until I get scratch marks evenly across the entire surface of the bevel. Yeah, um, and then I move on to the next stone and get those scratch marks all the way across. And, and do it's you, usually, you know, 30, 40 strokes or so on each. Yeah, if if I'm doing a full sharpening from one to the other. And then, do you use uh, if, the? Uh, do you like? Do you pull back on the flat surface to take off the the burr? Um. Well, like my average sharpening, no. I'm just using. I'll do the bevel on all three, and then on the strop, I'll do 30, 40 strokes on the strop. And then I'll flip it over and do the back on the strop with a couple strokes, and that will the the burr falls off there. Yeah, <clears throat> um, that's that's for my average sharpening. Um, if if like I have a nick in the blade and I really need to work at it, um, then I, I have an extra extra coarse stone that's like like a hundred and fifty grit diamond plate, and I pull that out to really take off a lot of material quickly. The problem with taking that off is I get a really big burr on it, um, and so I will. I'll do it on that, and then I'll go through the other three regular plates, um, and then I will take it back um, to the the finest plate and pull the burr off there. And that way, I can get rid of that really heavy burr, and then I'll go and do my regular sharpening process oh. of. See, I learned like I think I originally learned how to sharpen plain irons from watching the Rob mm-hmm. Gosman videos, uh-huh. and uh, I think he does it a little bit differently. But oh yes, yeah. but there's there's so many different ways. It's yeah, I do do a micro bevel, a secondary bevel, mm-hmm. um, just just because I can. But I also do everything by feel. So, you know, I put the bevel down on the stone, find, you know, where the bevel sits flat on the stone. Then I do my laps. And then just at the very end, you know, on my final grit, I'm using water stones, but same thing with diamond stones. I just lift up, you know, a hair mm-hmm. and then do... Uh, you know, I pull back a few passes um, just so I can see that there's that there actually is a secondary bevel, and then I take it to my strop and uh, you know make sure that that burr falls off the off the backside. Yeah. Well, then the other the other thing comes uh, when you're when you're sharpening. Um, if you're using a jig, you're keeping a perfect bevel. Um, when you're doing it freehand, you tend to have an ever so slight camber mm-hmm. um, front to back of the bevel. And I actually like to exaggerate that camber just a bit. Um, and so I don't have a flat edge on the bevel. So my the tip of my blade might be at like 32, 33 degrees, whereas the back of the bevel might be at like um, 28, 29. Um, and so there's it's, it's rounded, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that is, um, so I mean, it, I do end up having a, a secondary bevel slightly because of that, but that's just because of a slight rocking in the arm. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm a very pragmatic woodworker. As long as it's taking nice shavings, I don't really care. Well, <laughs> do you run the blade, um, 
So if the does the blade in line with your stone or at ninety degrees to your stone? When you're I'm about forty five degrees to the stone, um, just because okay. that's what I feel like it, where I can kind of hold that bevel nicely with both hands, yeah. and I can just kind of you know yeah. rock it back and forth, and that'll give you a much much flatter flatter bevel. Yeah, yeah. Um, Whereas I tend to hold mine fairly close to in line with the plate. Oh, really? I feel like that's harder to hold that way, but. Yeah, that's that's where you get more of that that rounded yeah. bevel. And this is a good segue to Jonathan's question. Um, Windex is better than water stone than water for diamond plates uh, because it evaporates faster than water, so plates don't rust. Right? Do you have any alternatives to Windex? Um, I've never tried anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have tried um, lapping fluid that's designed for diamond plates, um, but it's like you know ten dollars for this tiny little squeeze bottle. Yeah. Um, so I, I go to the dollar store and buy the cheapest Windex, the cheapest yeah. glass cleaner I can find. Um, I have heard other people using a, pol- a plexiglass cleaner um, because it doesn't have, um, uh, what is, is it, pneumonia? Um, yeah. There's, uh, there's, uh, ammonia? Yeah, there's something in there that some people <laughs> think, uh, what? Didn't you, I think you said pneumonia. Yes, yes pneumonia. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's something uh, in regular port. glass cleaners that some people don't like uh, with the the nickel plating, um, but I've never had an issue with it. So, yeah, just get the cheap glass cleaner. I use, I actually use water on my stones just because I because it, I it's a constant supply, and then I just wipe off mm-hmm. the stone or the plate diamond plate. No big deal. Uh, and then Jonathan's other question, and I feel like this is. Uh, for me growing up in construction, growing up in the job site, um, maybe not a jigsaw blade, but how would you bend back a bent jigsaw shoe base after dropping it on the ground? I wish I didn't have to ask this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I actually misread that question. I thought he was talking about how do you bend back a blade, uh, but the shoe, the base, I don't know, tap it out with a hammer on a hard surface? A lot of those are made out of magnesium, though, I think, the nice ones, which – is probably brittle, but I don't know. Yeah, magnesium is yeah. a little more brittle than a folded steel. Like a lot of the, Could like you, I know with a lot of the circular saws, the plates are magnesium because it's lighter. Yeah, well, that's what they sell you on anyway. Magnesium alloy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What what I've done in the past is I'll put it on an edge of a table so that the bent part is overhanging the table, and I'm basically using it as a break, and then using a rubber mallet to tap it down. Um, because if you if you hammer it on a flat surface, then the piece of metal will never bend. It'll rebound. Yeah. yeah, it'll always rebound, so it'll never actually get back to flat because you actually need to bend the metal past flat so that it rebounds to where it should be. Um, but the, the key is just taking time and going very light. And, and also, I think it matters if it's um, cast or not. Uh, yes. <laughs> if it's cast, yeah. it's it's not it's yeah. not going back. It probably <laughs> if it's snap. cast, it probably didn't bend in the first place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it probably just. Snapped. It would be a totally <laughs> different question. It would be how do I glue together the base of my jigsaw? <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Cool. Well, you guys want to move on to uh, what we're watching, reading? Uh, well, how about the joke of the week? Oh, that's right. I always forget the joke <laughs> of the week. We actually just had one from uh, Jeff Groff. Um, and he just posted it in the, the chat. That guy is um, the king of jokes. Oh, like yes. every week. He's, he's always got something for us. What did the beaver say to the tree? It's been nice gnawing you. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, Good man. Stuff. <laughs> 
I like, I like that. I, one. For some reason, my channel has become known as the Dad Joke Center Central, and I I think it's kind of rubbing off on the podcast now. <laughs> I could see why your why your channel would be the Dad Joke Central. <laughs> I could see that. We'll have to do. You know what we should have done last year is the worst of woodworking jokes, like <laughs> yes. like the top three least funny woodworking jokes. <laughs> Nice. Okay. Uh, All right. Will, yes. what are you watching? Uh, I have been watching <laughs> Planet Earth 2. Uh, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I watched the original BBC Planet Earth series. Um, and then it just came out on Netflix uh, streaming Planet Earth 2. And if you want to learn anything about filmmaking, watch Planet Earth 2. It's amazing. Um, the As someone who has studied films from you know my teenage years and and now makes videos uh on the youtubes um i i study films and and cinematography like not like a normal viewer would but i actually watch like well how would they get that shot how did they get that shot look at the the transition in here in the story planet earth 2 what they do with documentary style video of of animals and making the storyline, making it dramatic is so incredible if you watch it from a filmmaker's point of view. Um, and David Attenborough just has a very soothing voice. So uh, Planet Earth 2 is what I'm watching. Sweet. Yeah. Well, I have been uh, watching The Hand Tool School. Um, as uh, some of you know, I am uh, I purchased quite a bit of what he has over there. And uh, Shan Rogers, I love his teaching style. Uh, it's very smooth and easy and, and very well thought through. Um, so, you know, a lot of people have looked at the hand tool school and he has it broken down into semesters where you can learn an entire semester's worth of projects. Um, and he has build videos and other information. And most of the semesters are like, you know, 30 hours worth of video. Uh, they're they're an incredible amount of information, but he's recently been doing a lot more of individual how-to videos. So you can actually just go and buy a particular how-to on a topic and goes into great detail on any particular topic. So like sharpening and, you know, here's an hour long video on it um, and a great source of information. So um, definitely if you want to dive into hand tool woodworking, um, the hand tool school, it's a good place for it. Right on. How about you, Zach? Um, so I'm reading a book called Walden by Henry David Thoreau. Thoreau? Thoreau? Thoreau. I don't know. I've never heard his name mentioned. Thoreau. Thoreau. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. It's just about like this, uh, uh, I think probably mid-1800s, this guy that just moves to Walden Pond, which is in like Connecticut or Massachusetts or somewhere up there and uh, just kind of does his thing. So interesting little introspective quasi-philosophical book. Yeah, it's actually um, one that uh, uh, Roy Underhill mentions a lot. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, he like he goes out and I, I haven't gotten too far into it, but apparently he kind of makes his living off of uh, making stuff and working with his hands. And it's a little, it's a little dry, and it's definitely one that you want to keep a thesaurus handy for, which is <laughs> not usually my favorite types of reading material. I don't like it when people try and write to sound intelligent. But I think that's just the nature of any book written in the 1800s. There's a lot of references and stuff that I'm like, I have no idea what this means. But uh, there's there's some good stuff in there too. There's some quote the other day that I'm paraphrasing, but it's something along the lines of, it's talking about how people are too concerned with 
being respected rather than being respectable. I just thought that was kind of cool. So, but there's a lot of good, good little nuggets of thought in there. Cool. Well, uh, since you're talking, what, uh, what's your tool of the week? Um, I can't remember. I might've said this one a couple weeks ago. Um, it is a 3M full mm-hmm. face uh, respirator because uh, I'm painting with some really nasty stuff. I'm working on my truck uh, primer and paint and all sorts of stuff that you don't want to breathe. And having facial hair pretty much makes those little nose and mouth respirators completely useless. So um, the full face one actually seals really well. Uh, so speaking of the truck channel too, I've been putting a lot of thought into that. And I'm probably going to move my truck channel videos to my main channel soon because the way YouTube is um, changing all their monetization stuff, uh, small channels just get destroyed. So I'm probably going to move everything over to my main channel soon. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. Where yeah. see that truck? Yeah, it's, it's coming along. It's starting to look pretty good. I was hoping to have the video out by the end of the month, but um, the weather just hasn't been cooperating. Uh, it needs to be you know, a minimum of 60 degrees to, to shoot paint and do that sort of thing. So, uh, as, as soon as it warms up, I'll get moving on that. I'd love to have the whole thing in paint by the end of February, but we'll, we'll see. Cool. Will, what you got? Oh, uh, it's gotta be my new grizzly eight inch spiral head, spiral cutter head jointer, uh, that I just put in my shop. Uh, it's amazing how much quieter it is than my older uh straight knife jointer um which is a great jointer and i love it and i found it on craigslist and you know tuned it up and got it real purdy uh but the spiral head just kind of purrs you start it on and it just kind of goes (laughs) i love the sound of a good quality jointer or planer it just they're so quiet but yeah mm, yeah but yeah so got that in my shop and it's pretty and i've been jointing boards i got it i got the tables level and coplanar to each other within three thou of an inch over six feet so nice it's that's flatter than my jointer plane well there you go (laughs) cool what do you got cool james i am actually going to pick the minivan i I love my minivan um and you know I've, I've, i've thought quite a bit about getting a truck but the problem is the truck bed, if I have an eight-foot bed, is the same size of a bed as my minivan, except for in my minivan, I can get a 2 by 12 12-foot 12 long in and close the door. Um, or I can fit full cabinet-grade sheets of plywood in there and close the door. And so I get it, you know, it's no longer, you know, in a cab, uh, and, you know, no longer outside in the weather. And it's, it's so fast and easy to, to fold the seats down and go. And then it's, it's not having another vehicle that, you know, you have an entire truck that you spend a lot of gas money on that you're, you're only actually using it to haul things occasionally. Whereas with a minivan, you can use it for, you know, hauling the kids and all that, but uh, still actually have a truck. See, now, don't I, get me wrong. Someday I will get a truck because I'm a man. I must have a truck. <laughs> <laughs> I love my, I absolutely love my truck. My wife loves my truck. Um, it's our family hauler. Granted, I don't have three kids. I only got the one, um, but to have a bed, that is, you know, line X, rhino lined, whatever, um, that you can just throw stuff in the back and only have to worry about damaging the thing that you're throwing in the back and not damaging your truck. Uh, and you know, you can put things, I've got a, uh, uh, 
cat a cap a truck shell on the back of my truck and so i just flip up the window and anything longer than the bed of my truck i just let it hang out the back and strap it yeah. down but so, had, well, uh, well, 20 foot su- 20 foot long lumber in my minivan this summer <laughs> did you have to open the back yeah yeah actually i have a uh i have a a sheet that i can tie up inside that actually seals the back so when the the door is open or strapped down to it i don't have the exhaust coming in nice uh i have a must watch recommendation for anybody out there uh if i'm not sure if you're familiar with the tim and eric awesome show but they did a ridiculously funny video called minivan highway and like (laughs) retro 90s style um, <laughs> there's the link in the live chat, but it's it's, it's such a good so one. good. It's so bad. It's perfect. So yeah, watch it. <laughs> cool. Well, you guys have uh, been with us for another hour, so uh, thank you for that. I guess these boil down to about forty five minutes, so we're, we're saving you fifteen minutes of time. <laughs> <laughs> So I do want to say a huge thank you to our patrons on Patreon and uh, you guys have been a, a huge encouragement to us and we're looking forward to uh, seeing what we can do for you in the future. Um, if you want to follow any of us, you can find all of us on our YouTube channels or Instagram or wherever the cool people are. There are links in the description below and that's about it for this week. So until next time, see ya later. Thanks guys. Thanks again for listening to The Creators Collective. We publish weekly on Thursdays in iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can follow us on social media pages everywhere at Creators Collective. We're also live streaming every week on Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Just look up the YouTube channel to join in on the fun of the live chat and get your questions answered live. And until next time, keep on creating.